0: Find that on page 1,197 and 98 of most of the Pew Bibles. So, now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And now over the page, um, verse 32 to 35. "'I would like you to be free from concern. "'An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, "'how he can please the Lord. "'But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, "'how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. "'An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs.' Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord.
1: Thanks, Crystal. Well, why don't we take a little moment now to turn around and welcome each other. I'll call you back in about 30 seconds. Okay, well, let's uh, take our seat. We'll, we'll begin and consider this topic of marriage. I know some are very excited about this topic. Jess was just giggling there. but <laughs> let's, let's pray to our God for his help that we might think as Christians on this topic. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might give us minds to understand your ways and your word, that this might form how we view life and how we view this world and how we are to view the institution of marriage. And we pray, Lord, that you might help us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, where do we go to learn about marriage? What do you think? Where do we go to learn about marriage? Where do people today go to learn about the institution of marriage? Well, of course, we can go to Hollywood. Hollywood. I mean, there's a, there are stacks of these predictable, cheesy non exciting try good uh, try hard feel good chick flicks on marriages aren't they have you seen these movies my big fat greek wedding 27 dresses the the wedding planner the princess bride or shrek You learn about marriage in that movie too, don't you? Now, sadly, I have to confess, I've seen some of these movies unwillingly. Unwillingly. But what do you learn about marriages from Hollywood? Well, you learn that marriage is about finding your loved one, isn't it? Finding your soulmate, being happy, being content, finding fulfillment. Now, it's this romantic picture of marriage. Not that romance is bad and wrong, romance is good, but that's a picture from Hollywood. Marriage is about romance very fanciful where else do we go to learn about marriages well more serious note now in this past week there is some confusion in our society and in our city in our country in fact wasn't there kevin rudd this week he this past week he changed his mind and he he declared his support for same-sex marriage what are we to think of that this is what he said he said I believe that secular Australian states should be able to recognise same sex marriage. What are we to think? Is this where we go to our politicians to learn about marriage? Now in this uh, just last week in fact in the UK there were the bill there was a bill to uh, legalize same sex marriage that was passed uh, um, it passed a major hurdle now it will be debated in the House of Lords next month and people think that it will pass. Just last week, last Saturday, in fact, on the 18th of May, France became the 14th nation in the world to legalize same-sex marriage. And so there's this confusion about marriage in our world. It's like it's up for grabs, like what Pete mentioned. And so what are we to make of marriage? I mean, there's certainly a lot of confusion, but what is the Christian position? What are we to believe and uphold And what foundations, what groundings do we have to say what we should say? So that's what we'll be considering today, what our view of marriage should be and what are the grounds for us to uphold this view of marriage. Now, before we think about the Christian perspective, firstly today we'll be thinking about marriage from the perspective of our friends, the language we hear from them, from our city, from this nation, from this world. What is it that forms? their ethical thinking, their moral thinking about marriage. What's the moral framework that they appeal to? Well, this was what we considered last week. Remember the categories, the different categories, the different moral framework that people appeal to to think about right and wrong. And so, is marriage about my rights? So if you have an outline that will help, is marriage just about my rights? Or is marriage about my values? Or is marriage about the the rules? Or is marriage about the results? And so we'll be considering these are the different moral framework that our friends, that our secular world would appeal to. And so firstly, let's think about rights. Marriage, some claim, is about my right. I have the right to marry whoever I want, whenever I want. That is what is claimed. Or well, as it stands at the moment in our state of Victoria, same-sex couples, in fact, do have legal rights. They have the same rights in terms of tax, in terms of health care, in terms of welfare as a couple. What they don't have the right to at the moment is marriage. But people are now claiming, pressuring the, the politicians that they should have the right to same-sex marriage. But now I want you to think about this. If marriage is just about my rights, about your rights, where do you think that might lead if it's purely about rights? You know, where would it stop? I mean, how could we stop someone from appealing to their rights that they want to marry someone who is underage? Can we stop that? I mean, it's their right, is it, if they appeal to this moral framework? What, what right do we have to stop someone who appeals to their right to marry someone who is already married? Can we stop that? Or someone who appeals to their right and wants to marry their sibling? You see, marriage is not actually just about our rights. This is a framework that people do appeal to, a moral framework people appeal to, but it's not just about our rights. Because if you think about marriage, there's always uh, rights that are denied. So we are, in fact, never free to marry anyone without discrimination. It's never been the case. There has always, and by necessity, by necessity, always discrimination in marriage. You can't just marry anyone and anyone you like. It's not just about rights. And so what is it that gets us thinking this way as Christians? Perhaps there is a moral code, a moral order that we need to sort of uncover. Why is it that you can't just do what you want, marry anyone you want, Marry whenever you want. So that's the first framework. What else do people appeal to? Well, there's the framework of values. Marriage is about my value. Marriage is about my expression of love. And so when two consenting adults are in love with each other and they decide to spend their lives together as an expression of their love in marriage, that's their freedom to express that in in marriage, is that what marriage is about? Just about values, just about love, an expression of love. Well, this is part of the argument of those who push same-sex marriage. And I want us to think carefully about this. Because I want you to think about this and see this. If it's just about two consenting adults who are in love with each other and want to share their lives together, think about what this, the implication of this might mean. What if you have a father and a daughter who are adults, consenting. They want to spend their lives together, love each other in that type of relationship. Can we say that there's anything wrong with that? I mean, they're appealing to values. This is what marriage is about. Marriage is about my expression of love. Can we not allow that? Sounds strange, doesn't it, a father and a daughter? But in fact, in 2008, if you were watching 60 Minutes, when I was watching, 2008, there was this story about a father, 61 at that time, in a relationship, in an incestuous relationship with his daughter. She was 39. They were both adults, consenting adults. Can we say that that is wrong? And if we say that that is wrong, what moral framework, what ground do we have to say that that is wrong? Now, in that situation, it was quite sad. They did have two children. One of the child died shortly after birth because of some defect. But the other one is still alive, and you know, do we have the right to be disgusted when we hear stories like that? but what right? what moral framework do we have? Well, perhaps there is this moral code, moral um, moral um, order in creation that shows that that's not right that's not what marriage is about. but what is that? So this is what we'll try to uncover today now third. What else do people appeal to? They, they might appeal to the rules. Well, what's the rule on marriage at the moment? Well, a little history here. In Australia, in 1961, there was the Marriage Act, 1961. Now, in this Act, it talks about marriage, and there are laws governing marriage, but it didn't define marriage. In 1961, marriage wasn't defined, and that's because they assumed that everyone knew that marriage was between a guy and a girl, one man and one woman. It was just assumed. But then in the last decades, as you, have seen, as you have seen in the media, people started to challenge this. Because marriage was not defined in the marriage act, people started to challenge that and say, well, perhaps same-sex couples can get married under, the, that, under that same act because it's not defined. And do you, know, do you remember what happened in 2004? the Federal Attorney General at that time, well, he introduced this Marriage Amendment Bill in 2004. And in that bill, he defined marriage. So in 61, when the Marriage Act was passed, no definition, in 2004, this was added. So in the bill, it's now defined that marriage is this. Can you see that? Marriage means the union of a man and a woman. To the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. So, this is in our legislation. It's part of the bill now. And this also that there's no ambiguity about marriage one man, one woman. Okay? And so, this is where Australia stands at the moment. But of course, people are appealing to try to change these laws, uh, redefine marriage. That is what's happening. But I want you to consider this if the laws are changed, if marriage is redefined, you just wonder how far it can go, how more loose it can be, how we think about marriage. But we sort of have this resistance. But I want us to consider, why is it that we have this resistance as Christians? On what grounds? So tonight I want us to, by the end, have grounds for why we say marriage is as it is. Finally, people might appeal to results. Remember, this is the other framework, moral framework. Marriage is about results. That is, marriage is about what makes me happy. It makes me happy, and that's why I get married. Doesn't matter if it's a guy or girl, it makes me happy. And so if two consenting adults are in love and being together brings happiness, what right do we have to refuse them that happiness? I mean, that's the argument from the same-sex se- uh, same community, that those who push that. And if couples of that community now are able to have children through artificial means, through IVF, what he's saying now that is that you don't need to be married. You don't need a guy and girl to have children, to start a family. You can have that or that children and all that outside the marriage relationship. And so what right do we have to refuse that? It brings them happiness. They appeal to this framework. It makes me happy. Well, what framework? What moral order? Is there a moral order that actually challenges that? Well, that's what we'll consider now. So that's the way the world thinks, the full moral framework, okay, and people move within that. So now we'll consider the, uh, the Christian perspective. Well, the Christian perspective is this, that there is a right, proper, and good way of viewing marriage. There is a right way, and it's actually not dependent on my values. It's not dependent on whether it makes me happy, and it's not dependent on my rights. You see, marriage from a Christian perspective, marriage from a biblical perspective, is actually far more profound than all of that. And so what is the stand that we must make as Christians on this issue? Well, what we'll do now is apply the Christian framework. We're going to see these things, the origin of these moral framework, from a Christian perspective. So firstly, the idea of rights. If you were here last week, the idea of rights actually comes from the Christian idea of creation. We only have rights because God actually created us human beings as important, with a purpose. That's why we have this idea of rights. And marriage, you see, is something that God has stitched into the fabric of the world, into creation. And it's for humans, for our good, embedded into the way the world works. And so it's part of the natural way this world runs. And so if you think about it, you don't actually have to be a Christian to think that marriage is between a man and woman. If you look at different societies and cultures, they all have this idea of marriage. They have this institution of marriage, and they are not Christians. And so in China, marriage was there way before the Christians came along. In India, in Sri Lanka, marriage was already there before the Christians came along. And that's because marriage is not just a Christian thing. It's in fact a human thing. And that's because right at the beginning, God has embedded into the fabric of this world this institution of marriage. And if you think about it, it makes sense. It makes sense when a man and a woman come together, that's a way for them to grow a family, to bear children. And it makes sense of the social structure of this world as well. The basic building blocks of any society is a family unit, a father and a mother and their children. That's the basic building blocks of any society try to distort that with two fathers or two mothers but it's a distortion and so what do we see here well when we consider creation remember Adam was alone and what did God say when he was alone this was what God said God said it's not good for the man to be alone or make a suitable a helper suitable for him and so what did God do in chapter 2 well he brings along the animals to him The Yardvark, the zebra, the donkey, Adam named them, but he wasn't very excited about them. It wasn't until God put him to sleep and made a woman from him. And when that woman was brought to Adam, that got him excited. Not the Yardvark, not the donkey. And Adam was able to then say, this is my suitable companion for life. You see, so this order in creation was put there by God. And that's why it's not a Christian thing. Marriage is a people thing. Marriage is a human thing right there from the beginning. And so we hear in Genesis the first account of marriage. So in Genesis chapter 2, 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, marriage embedded into the very thing of creation, the very fabric of creation, not just a Christian thing. It's a human thing. It's this beautiful, shameless, faithful union of a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. And it's the, the, the unit in which they are able to express their humanity, their sexually without shame and it's the environment the safe environment in which they can bear children and that's the establishment of a new family unit so when society grows that's the basic building blocks a family the kids grow up they break away from their parents so the the man's responsibility is no longer to his parents he still honors his parents but his responsibility becomes to his wife and to his children And so these are the things you actually hear at a Christian wedding. Now, I'm not sure if you were there a couple of weeks ago at the wedding, but if you go to a Christian wedding, you will hear these four purposes of a wedding. So we'll see the first one here. Marriage was given so that a husband and wife might always enjoy each other's companionship, help and support. You see, marriage is about this union, this complementary relationship that that goes on forever. Second purpose, if you were there at the wedding, you would hear Chris say this. Marriage was given for the proper expression of human sexuality. You see, it's marriage. Within the context of marriage, that sex occurs. The only proper context. Now, we might find this hard to understand, and, and it's because of how our society is progressing. You see, our society teaches us that it's the individual that needs sex. That is not right. It's not individuals that need sex. It's actually the marriage that needs sex. Marriage needs sex, not individuals. And that's why it's okay to be the 40-year-old virgin. It's okay. You're no less human if you die a virgin. It's the marriage that needs sex, not individuals. The third purpose that we hear at our wedding is this. Marriage was given so that family life might continue and that children might be brought up in the love and security of a stable and happy home. You see, the the proper and right family unit is made up of a father, mother, and the children that they bear. That is the proper family unit embedded into the way creation works. And so we can try to distort it, two fathers, two mothers, but that's a distortion nonetheless. And there's a fourth reason. It was given so that human society might be healthy and have a firm foundation. We don't realize that marriage, as God intended it, is actually for the good of society. It's for the good of society. And you see, when Jesus comes along, he actually reinstates these creation uh, moral orders. He reaffirms that marriage is good, as God intended it. Okay, so we've looked at creation that is why we, we think marriage must be between a man and woman. Those are the reasons. Now along with seeing marriage as part of God's good moral order in creation, we now need to see marriage as something that in fact, reflects God's character. So that's the next one. see, when the world thinks about values, they think just about love or romance, but we have to think about the character, character of God that must be reflected in our marriage. And we read this when we read the Old Testament. You look through the stories of the Old Testament. God calls him the husband of the nation of Israel. And he remains faithful to them. He's steadfast in his love towards them. He doesn't love Israel because they are so lovable. We don't read that in the Old Testament. He loves them even though they are so unlovable. They go after other gods. In the book of Hosea, the nation of Israel are caught prostitutes. Because they prostituted themselves to other gods. But yet God remains faithful to them. And so when we think about marriage, it's not just about love. It's actually something in which we try to reflect God's character. And then when Jesus comes along, he actually reveals God's character to us ever more clearly. This is the extent of God's love in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And you see here, God's love, the love that must be reflected in marriage, is not this Hollywood romantic type of love. Romance is good, but it's a love despite of the other person's failings. You see, the Hollywood romance is, as long as I feel butterflies in my stomach or guts, then it's all right, I should get married. Well, no, that's not how it is. And so a good and proper marriage is one that reflects God's character as revealed in his son, Jesus. And if you think about it, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to see that this is how marriage works best. You see, when a husband seeks the interest of his wife, loves his wife, and the wife loves the husband, marriage works that way. And that's, in a sense, what I want to say about my marriage, my marriage, my marriage to Yvonne. You know, I don't want Yvonne to just love me because I'm lovable. I I was more lovable when we were dating, perhaps. I I did try to be romantic then, buy her flowers, but waste of money. Anyway, (laughs) but I want Yvonne to reflect God's character in our marriage. Love me despite how I am. And so when I'm older, getting bald, losing my hair, not that that's a bad thing, as I get more wrinkly and more hideous to look at, not a bad thing, I still want Yvonne to love me, to be willing to kiss me, and you know, I take off the false teeth and still kiss me. <laughs> I don't want her to love me because I'm lovable. So I want us to see that marriage is, is uh, the fuller picture of marriage. It's one where we reflect God's character in love, in faithfulness. And, of course, I'll do the same for Yvonne. Okay, third rules and codes now along with seeing marriage as something that is embedded into the order of creation along with seeing that marriage is something where we try to reflect god's character as revealed in jesus marriage is also something that is commanded how marriage is meant to look like so if we look at the classic wedding wedding bible passage ephesians 5 this is what we read Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And the husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, you see, that's the model of marriage. It's, in fact, to model Christ and his church. Wives are to be willingly submissive joyfully husbands are to love sacrificially and that's the command so marriage we're filling it out now this is what it looks like but more than that so we're seeing creation moral order in creation we're seeing how marriage is meant to reflect god's character we're also seeing the commands from the bible on what marriage must look like husbands and wives what that's to look like Now we see this one, this last one, results. The world's thinking about results. Well, that's happiness. How are we meant to see this? Well, when we see this passage in Ephesians, we're actually seeing something of the future of marriage. Now, this is the profound thing about marriage. So when we're looking about the new future, looking towards a new future which God has in store, what do we learn about marriage there? Well, here's the profound mystery. You see, we're commanded to model our marriage, our human marriages, husband and wives, on the model of Christ and the church, do you know why? It's because our human marriages will, in fact, end. They'll end. Have you realized that? When you die, your marriage has ended. And as good as they are, as important as they are, as special as they are, they are, in fact, just a shadow of the real marriage So this is the profound thing about marriage. It's actually looking forward to something that is greater. And we read in Ephesians 5, this is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. All our human marriages here, they will not last. But there there is this marriage, which we're trying to model, that will last. And, And that's why Paul said it's better for him to Uh, remain a single to not get married because marriage is not all there is to life often we try, try to i mean we tend to think that marriage is all there is that's what i'm focused on it's not all there is to life there's actually bigger and better things and that's why paul said that it's better for him to be single so that he can devote his time to the things of god but I must admit, when you think about this, this idea that our marriage is just a shadow of something bigger and greater, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? It's, it's hard to swallow. I mean, my wedding day was the best day of my life. There's nothing wrong with that. Let it be the best day. Nothing wrong with that. But I want us to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us this future perspective of marriage. So in Luke chapter 20, Jesus says this, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So what this is saying is that our marriage will end. Our human marriages are not things, the things of heaven. And so when I die, our marriage ends. And when I see Yvonne again in heaven, we are no longer married. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Now, I've talked about this uh, to Yvonne on many occasions about death and heaven. She's not too excited about, about talking about that, but I, I like talking about it. And, and I say to Yvonne, we are married, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. I don't want to do, do it any other way, live this life any other way. But you see, when I die, our marriage is over. And Yvonne, you're free to marry someone else. Someone else to be your husband and to look after my kids. Okay, But in heaven, we won't be married. You see, we put so much emphasis on marriage. It's not the be-all and end-all. Now, when I talk to Yvonne about this, she does get a little concerned, but it baffles her. How can we not be married in heaven? Think about our life. We spent our life together. Our, our 60, 70 years together, whatever however long that is, how can we not be married? How can we enjoy heaven when we're not married? But you see, from the words of Jesus, or well, from the words of Paul, the thing is, our marriage is but a shadow. As good as our marriage is, it's not as good as our marriage to Christ, Christ and his church. And so if our marriages here on earth are in fact good and wonderful, Well, that's a good thing because it will show how much better the real marriage is, the better marriage is. And so I I try to reassure Yvonne, You know, even though in heaven we might not be friends, we won't be married as we are here on earth, we'll have something far greater than that. We'll be married to Christ. And more than that, we'll probably still be friends. We'll hang out. I'll still make hot chocolates with my coffee machine. And so when we're thinking about the future, This is the future that God lets us see about marriage. Our marriage here on earth is not the be-all and end-all, as important and good as they are. Now, if we think about the immediate future of getting married, well, of course, there is the wonderful joy of welcoming children into that marriage, the natural way of welcoming children into that marriage. And that's an amazing blessing from God. God, in his mercy and grace, has blessed us with free children. Wonderful children, most of the time. But in between that, there was a miscarriage. But three wonderful wonderful children now as an expression of our love. How wonderful is that? Okay, so that's thinking about the future. Now finally, it's Jesus that actually combines all this together. This Jesus-shaped community. So we're considering marriage, what we learn from creation, from God's character, from the commands of the Bible, from the future perspective that Jesus gives us, now marriage today. What is it like? Well, you see, our marriage today in this world is important and it's meant to be shaped by Jesus. You see, when Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead, he guaranteed us the hope of eternal life. And as we Christians experience Jesus, what he's done for us, as we experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and reconciliation with God, it is these things that our marriage are to be shaped on. Because marriage is not perfect. Those of you who are married will testify. Your marriages are not perfect. You have tough days, hard times, and that's because we're sinners. I mean, I'm not always so sacrificial in my love towards Yvonne. Sometimes I prefer to kill aliens on the computer then watch TV with her, those chick flicks. You know, I'm not always sacrificial in my love to Yvonne. I'm often lazy and selfish. But you see, we are to live a life that is shaped by Jesus. And that's where repentance comes in. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Marriage continues on. Marriage don't end up in divorces if we continue to repent, to forgive and to be reconciled. That is the shape of marriage in this fallen world. And so if you think about it, from the Christian perspective, divorce is never the option, never the option. Even when marriage is hard and tough and you've been hurt so deeply, we are to live in a Jesus-shaped community. The family unit is a mini-community of the church. We are to be shaped by Jesus, and so when even when we are deeply hurt, We really have to learn heart to forgive, to ask for repentance, and to seek to be reconciled. Okay, so what does it mean for marriage then? So that's the biblical framework. We're not just considering rules. We're not just considering what Paul said. We're considering the whole framework. And hopefully that has given us a fuller picture of marriage. But what do we say about marriage today? I mean, when we consider this world, So much confusion, so much confusion. But I think there's actually more than that. The world's not only confused about marriage, they've in fact tried to butcher the good gift of God. Butcher marriage. Let me show you why. Remember those four purposes that we hear at weddings? The first one, marriage was given so that a husband and wife might always enjoy each other's companionship, help, and support. Well, how the world has butchered that is, well, I'll only stay in it as long as I'm happy, as long as the result is my happiness, as long as I'm content, as long as I'm satisfied. And so when my wife starts gaining weight after giving kids, as she starts cooking these things that don't taste good, I'm not happy and I'll get a divorce. What about the second purpose that we hear on wedding days? It was given, marriage was given for the proper expression of human sexuality. Well, what has society done with this? Well, it's in fact replaced uh, the view of sex, so good, so intimate within the marriage context, with a very, very cheap view of sex. You see, with the introduction of the contraceptive pill in the 60s, you know what that did? It drove a wedge between the act of sex and the result of having babies. And what that eventually led to was more and more sexual promiscuity. And since you can now have sex without the fear of children, you don't need to have sex within the safe environment of marriage. You see how we have butchered God's good design of marriage. What about the third purpose? Marriage, which is so that family life might continue and that children might be brought up in the love and security of a stable and happy home. Well, this, is, this has now been replaced with a view that children are just like a commodity. You know, same-sex couples who cannot have children naturally, but they can now go to a third-world country through IVF, pay 18000 to a woman to be their surrogate mother of their child, who, who are not really their child anyway, only one of them, if any, And now they can raise children in a home, two fathers or two mothers. A distorted view of God's good purpose. What about the fourth purpose? Marriage was given so that human society might be healthy and have a firm foundation. But this is now challenged, isn't it? Marriage is challenged so that we can redefine it to include those for whom marriage was never intended for. Fourteen countries in the world already Gave it the tick. UK, people say, are very close. Will Australia follow? So what now for us? What are we to think and do as Christians? Well, I've got two things. Firstly, I do want to stress this. I did speak a lot about same-sex couples. But I must stress this, that us as Christians, we cannot hate those who struggle with same-sex attraction. We must love them, care for them, be sensitive towards them. It's a struggle for many of them. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some of us here who struggle with same-sex attraction. And so us as Christians, we must be compelled by the gospel to love those who are different because we are no better. We're sinners as well. But however, I must remind us this, to love someone is not the same as to condone what they do that's a difference so that's the first first thing we must love them secondly we actually ourselves much must uphold this honorable estate marriage is an institution done designed by god a great gift from god for humanity all of humanity not just christians and that's why when when there's these pressure to redefine marriage, we need to be vocal because they don't realize it's actually for their good if they get married God's way. It's for the good of all of society, not just us Christians. And so now we've thought about the moral framework that helps us def- to defend why we believe what we believe. You see, marriage, remembering from creation, marriage comes from the good and proper moral order that God has intended at creation, stitched into the fabric of creation, and so lifelong faithful companionship between one man and one woman expressed in this beautiful sexual union, safe in the environment of the marriage and the environment in which to welcome children. Second, from God's character, marriage our marriage is meant to be a reflection of God's love that is not dependent on our lovability. Our love to each other as a couple is not dependent on how lovable the other person is. And we remain faithful always. What about from the commands? Well, we learn that from the commands we are to model Christ and the church. Wives submit husbands love. Fourthly, marriage looks forward to the ultimate marriage. As good as it is now, it's not all there is. It's not all there is. Single people who die single will be part of the great marriage with Christ. They are the bride of Christ, just as all of us who believe. And finally, marriage must be shaped by Jesus. We're in a fallen world, we're sinful people, Marriage continues, and don't end in divorce if we learn to repent, offer forgiveness, and be reconciled. And if you think about it, marriage just works if you do it God's way. It just works. And so I want to urge all of us who are already married and those of us who will be married in the future, make sure that our marriages are the best ones, the best marriages around. A testimony to those around us that us, by living God's way, we enjoy good marriages. A testimony to them of the greater marriage, what Christ has done for his church. And finally, I want to leave us with these words. You know, when we're Christians, when we say we are not for same-sex marriage, it's not because we're unfair. It's not because we don't love them. When we say we are not for unfaithfulness, we are not for adultery, we are not for sex outside of marriage, that's not because we are a killjoy. And when we say we are not for children being born outside the safe environment of the family, of a marriage, it's not because we don't like babies. We say these things because we are for marriage as God has intended Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we've considered this tough topic, but this wonderful institution that you have established right from the beginning. And so we pray, Lord, that all of us who are married and those who will be married in the future, and even those who are single, will honor this honorable estate, the institution of marriage And we pray, Lord, that as complicated as it might be, we pray, Lord, that you might bless us all with good marriages for those who are married. And as all of us together look forward to the day of heaven where we will be with Christ as his bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.